Thanks for listening to the church at Severn Run Messages Podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. You guys are way too kind. 117, again, not because of anything my pastor ever said, but 117 days ago. I did not know if I would ever do this again. And to be honest with you, even though I'd spent 22 years already of my life and career in doing this, 117 days ago, I didn't even know if I ever would want to do this again. The truth was, I was lonely. I was afraid, I was hurt, I was scared, I was mad, I was angry, really, really angry. I'm just curious, is anybody out here, we're in this together this morning, would you just say, I've felt that way before? Huh? You've been there, done that? I'm going to ask you to be even just a little bit more courageous because, again, this is just us today, okay? This is family. I'm going to ask you to be just a little bit more courageous this morning, and I'm going to ask you to say, hey, you know what? The truth is I feel that way right now when I walked into this building this morning. Are you courageous enough to say that's me today, right now? Can I tell you something, folks? Give them a hand. That is bravery. That is bravery because most of us, we don't walk around wearing those types of emotions or letting anybody know that we feel them, do we? We walk around inside of that hurt. We walk around inside of that pain. And then we try to kill it in a thousand different ways. And that's exactly what I was feeling 117 days ago. It was May the 17th of 2017 and my best friend had picked me up that morning. And I put my suitcases in the back of his car, and we began a drive about an hour and a half up the road to where we drove on to this campus, and I got out. And my best friend, he gave me one last big, huge hug, and we had laughed all the way there because God knows that's what I needed so much that morning was just to laugh. And I walked into a great and incredible place, but I walked in alone, it felt like. I walked into a rehab center. And I got to tell you what, when you're looking at, when you're looking at, like, my life and its background, you're not thinking, hey, listen, that's the guy that someday walks into a rehab center because we have these notions as to what brokenness looks like. But we're not always right about those things. In fact, most of the time we're really wrong. And I walked into that rehab center that day, and I felt all alone And I had to do things on that particular day just checking in that it's like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. This is where my life has gotten to. This is where it's come. And then the worst part of it is, is when it's your first day in rehab, they don't even give you a schedule. They kind of just want you to get acclimated to the campus and to the community. And, you know, there's nothing you have to go to. So basically, here it is, type A guy walking around 
a big facility with absolutely nothing to do, and at this point, with nothing to drink. And so I made my way down into uh, this chapel area. At least there was something familiar about that particular room. It had a stage. It had a podium, a couple of crosses, had some chairs that I could walk around, and I began to pace that chapel the same way that I have paced this room and every other church building that I've ever had the opportunity to be able to work in and and be at. I started to pace that chapel, but that was a very different conversation I began to have that day because I began to let God know exactly how I felt, how lonely and hurt and confused and bitter and mad that I was, and I can go ahead and tell you, I've had people s- since then have asked me, John, wh- who were you mad at? Were you mad at the church? Were you, were you mad at, you know, your, your family? Were you mad at your mom and dad? Or, you know, who was it that you were mad at? I'm going to tell you, I was not mad at a single human being. I was angry at God. And I let him know in every single type of word that I could possibly come up with. And I will just go ahead and tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that my mother would not be proud. Because it was that type of real and very serious conversation. I wanted to know why in the world that this had happened. I wanted to know why I was there because I'm telling you, folks, if you look back at the life that God has given me the opportunity to live, you would not expect it to end up in that place. So many of you have grown up in some serious broken. So many of you have been hurt and you have been abused and life has not gone the way that you would like to see it go and much of that many times has not even been your fault. I, on the other hand, I got to grow up, I'm not kidding, like I got to grow up in a fantastic family where my mom and dad love Jesus. They've spent their entire life loving Jesus. They spent their entire life raising me and my sister to love Jesus, to serve in the church. I had the all-American childhood. Heck, I was not even, I did not even know that I was poor until I was older. I thought every boy slept on an army cot. I mean, life was good. I don't know if any of you have seen her or not, but I married way out of my league, folks, way out of my league. And the craziest part is all of my kids, they got their mom's genetics. I can't blame any of that. The truth is, in 22 years in the ministry, I have had and served in nothing but fantastic places. When I hear pastors tell horror stories of things that they've had to go through inside of the ministry, the truth is, I've had some tough times, but I've never had to go through what I've heard some other people have to go through. On top of it, I get to work and have been privileged to, in some way, shape, or form, help to lead one of the greatest, if not the greatest churches in America. Right, church? Huh? How in the world do you live that kind of life and then be able to end up in rehab? I mean, 
started out innocent enough. I was a high schooler, and every once in a while, you know, hey, listen, on a Friday night, I went out and played with alcohol. I had a lot of friends that did that when I was in high school. Tons of them did not grow up to be alcoholics. Then on top of it, there was a few times in college that, hey, listen, I drank my blues away because of a girl problem. Lots of people do that in college, but there's a lot of them don't grow up to be alcoholics. Then on top of that, I mean, I was a social drinker for lots and lots of years, but then all of a sudden one day, there I am right there in rehab. God, why in the world would you let this happen to me? Why would you make me go through this? I was angry. I was upset. And God just let me go off. And by the way, he wants to hear you tell him exactly how you feel this morning too. And if you raised your hand, he wants you to tell him exactly how you feel. And if you kept your hand down because how, there's no way that I'm going to actually expose what's going on inside of me and you white-knuckled it, then he wants to hear how you feel too. And he's not worried about what you, words you use. They're not going to offend him. He started to give me an answer. It wouldn't come that day in the chapel. It would start to come really, really slowly, and it would start to come subtly in the form of a story because he knows this about the way that he's wired me. If you want me to get it, then you're going to tell me a story. I'll figure it out if you start to tell me a story. He started to remind me, quite frankly, of the most important story that I've ever heard. And in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36, it reads this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove, grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. We all know that this is the night right before the cross. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine, was not a phrase that I was uttering that day in the chapel. In fact, I don't know about you, but I like it a whole lot when my will gets done. I mean, seriously, I like it a whole lot when my will gets done. Can I, can I get a real amen on that one? Don't you like it when your will gets done? If you think you have no problem, if you think you have no problem with surrender, that surrender is one of those things that you can do and you can do easily that I want you right now to turn and I want you to look at your spouse and I want you to say, I want your will to be done, not mine. I see lots of people laughing. I don't see anybody doing it. Right? We like to live with our will. We want to be in control. We want to be able to have it all. But Jesus' response in his moment of grief, Jesus' response in his moment is, hey, listen, I'm giving up. I'm going to go ahead and I am going to completely surrender. 
And man, if this was the loving father's story, and if we were to write this one, when Jesus is at this moment of agony and other passages, it tells us that his stress levels were up so high that the capillaries in his, his forehead were literally beginning to burst and he was sweating blood. He was so stressed out. If we were writing this story and the son was saying this to the father, naturally at this very moment we would expect that the father would go ahead and relieve his son of this stress, wouldn't we? That the father, if he really loved him, would look and say, hey, listen, I don't want you to feel that way anymore. I don't want you to experience those emotions. I don't want you to go through all of that. No, no, no. You know what? Jesus, we're going to come up with a different plan B. Because I don't like where plan A is going. I don't like how stressed out it's got you. So let's come up with plan B. But that's not what happens in this story, is it? Because the father's love looks a little bit different than what we might suspect. And what didn't happen for me in that chapel that day was God didn't just all of a sudden look and say, okay, boom, guess what? Alcoholism cured. He didn't do that. Just like he didn't let Jesus out of the suffering that he was about to go through on the cross. And more than likely, folks, whatever thing it is in your life that's that you're experiencing that right now is causing all of these unbelievably stressed out emotions, God's answer to that may not be complete and total immediate delivery. God's version of surrender is not like international law. I mean, under international law, it doesn't always work this way. We know that. But under international law, when somebody surrender, right, there's certain rights that they're afforded as a prisoner. Uh, they're supposed to be given decent food and a decent bed and, you know, uh, be afforded some dignity when it was all said and done. But God's rules for surrender are not the rules of international law. In fact, God's rules of surrender remind me a lot of what it was like, uh, or what it's like with my boys when they've got their toy guns out and they're running around the house and they're playing war. And all of a sudden they will like run into the kitchen and with, you know, guns pointed at me and Nerf and, and the Nerf bullets all loaded up. Dad, put your hands up now. Boo, 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 boo. I become a target at that point, right? I mean, and then they laugh. Ha ha, it's funny. It's like, guys, you don't understand. When you don't shoot. That's not how this is supposed to work. But the reality is that when Jesus comes to God with all of this stress, when you surrender to the Father, the next step, the next place he's going to take you is to the cross. He's not going to take you to comfort. He's not going to take you immediately to resurrection, but that's what we like to skip to, isn't it? We love resurrection stories, but there is not one without the cross. 
We just want to skip right to that. And I got to tell you something. Uh, my mentor this last week on Facebook, he, he threw out a, a, a phrase. He said, what do you think? And he was asking this because he's been, you know, he's had students. He's a professor and he's had Bible students for years and years and years. And so he was kind of throwing out this discussion question on Facebook. And what he said, what do you think is the biggest problem of discipleship in the church of America today? And because of what God has recently allowed me to live through and, and am living through, I, I was able to answer that in a way that I'd never, ever thought about before. Because my answer really was this, is that most of us have skipped over the cross and gone straight to the resurrection. We've had that moment where we've walked into a church building or we've been to some event or we are some uh, Christian friend has come to us and they've shared Jesus with us and we're like, you know what? Absolutely, I need that in my life. I want these emotions to go away. I think, I think Jesus can fix it for me. And so immediately at that point, you know, whatever the, the reality was, we said, hey, listen, Jesus, come into my life, be my leader and forgiver. And you know what? At that point, I 100% believe that he granted you exactly what he said that he would grant you. He granted you salvation of an eternal nature. And it was a beautiful moment for you, wasn't it? And then all we do is we say, hey, okay, listen, I've been forgiven of everything. And then we show up to, to church Sunday after Sunday and we start to sit there and we start to wonder, but why isn't all this emotion going away? After, after the newness of Jesus wears off, we start to sit there and we start to say, well, why, isn't th why aren't things getting better? Why isn't my life changing? Why don't I feel different uh, than I used to feel? And we notice that there's a few people around us that, that they do act different. They, they do seem to be at peace no matter what the circumstances are going on. But we just haven't been able to find that. I know because I've lived there for a whole lot of years. What is it that they've got? What is it that they understand that, that, that I don't understand? The reality is they did the hard work of going to the cross. They did the hard work of what the cross means. It's not a fun and games type situation. It was on May the 17th that I went into rehab, but it was on May the 14th that I was sitting like right down here. And I was so thankful that day to be completely surrounded by my staff and the staff here at the Church of Severn Run. I was so thankful for their love and their support. And Dr. Drew and his amazing message on that day, one I will never, ever forget. And at one point, at the very end of the message, he asked me to walk up on stage so that the staff could pray and so that you guys could pray. But I'll be honest with you, when I got up from that area right there and I started walking up these stairs, and I got to about this point right here. My head was down because here's the truth. I couldn't look at you guys. I couldn't look at you. All I could do at that point was just kind of try to put one foot in front of the other. And I seriously thought that that would get better as the services went on, that maybe because it was just in the first service I'd be better. It never got better that day. 
But the first time that I was making this walk in the first service, as I was walking, it was about right here. And I swear, it might as well been a it it might as well have been an audible voice that was in my ear. And it said, "John, this is your walk of shame. This is your walk of shame." That's what it felt like. That's totally what it felt like. Can I tell you what? That's what the walk to the cross, it's what it feels like. I certainly know that Jesus probably felt that way, right? Completely naked, having been beaten, having been scorned with everybody screaming and hollering and throwing things at him. I mean... What that voice said to me was a cakewalk compared to anything that Jesus would have ever had to go through. And the difference was I was taking this walk because of my own stupidity. But Jesus never did anything to take his walk. But just be the love and joy and peace that he was. And as I, the reality is that the walk, it hurts. The walk isn't easy. In the walk, you're going to have to own some stuff that you've never had to own before. You're going to have to feel some stuff that you've been trying to avoid that you haven't wanted to feel before. You're going to have to take your head out of the sand, so to speak, and look around and see and recognize the hurt that's been done to you and deal with it deeply. You're going to have to take your head out of the sand, look around, and deal deeply with the hurt that you've done to others. A true and deep inventory of your life and where you are and what has led you to the place where it's time for you to have to walk to the cross. And although it doesn't seem like it, although this will hurt, although this will be torturous, although it will feel, it will feel like humiliation at times, the reality is that that walk will truly be the walk where you, for the first time in your life, discover love and joy and peace. Because it is only when you get to the cross. It is only when you've done the torturous work, the torturous work of dealing with what's really going on inside of you with all the pain that mom and dad have caused, with all the pain that maybe a sibling has caused, with all the pain that an ex-spouse has caused or a current spouse, with all the pain that a child has caused you, with all of the pain that maybe that you have inflicted upon others, with all of the pain that maybe at times that you are inflicting upon yourself because of bad habits or hang-ups. It is only when you've done all of that kind of deep work that you will ultimately on the cross be able to have that moment that Jesus has in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he ultimately says, it is finished. Father, into your hand 
I commit my spirit. It is only on the cross where we actually get to die and be done with all of the negativity that has gotten us to the point that we feel the way that we feel right now. It is only at that moment. So I want to give you guys just some real practical things real quick. Of, hey, hey, listen, how do I walk to the cross? Because here's what I know. I know that sitting in an audience like this today, that there are plenty of people that are addicted, chemically addicted. I know that in sitting like in, in an audience like this today, that there's plenty of other addictions, whether it be pornography, whether it be food, or whether it be any other thing that we could come up with and potentially name. We've all got stuff that we are trying to hold on to more than we are deciding to go ahead and let go of and die to. And that stuff, whether we realize it or not, it's, it's killing us. Literally, it's killing us. So how do we take this walk to the cross in just a real practical way? Number one, we've got to choose when to die. We have to choose when to die because we can either do this. One of the choices that we can make is we can just continue to live miserable. You can, just, you can continue to, to, to just decide that, hey, listen, you are going to feel the exact same way that you felt when you walked in here this morning. That you're going to be controlled by the exact same thing that you were controlled by when you walked in here today. That you will continue to just walk through life feeling negativity and stress and loneliness and fear. And that that is just the state that you're going to decide is your permanent way to live and to be. You can do that. You can live miserable. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you will live miserable and then you will die. Right? And the truth is, the large majority of our world today, the large majority of our world today, that's exactly how we live, isn't it? People live miserable and die. I'm absolutely convinced that when Jesus got to planet Earth and he was walking around down here, and he was thinking about back in the Garden of Eden, the last time that he had walked around with man, before Adam and Eve did their thing, as he was probably reminiscing about way back when, about what those days were like, just in the garden, just kind of like hanging out, enjoying life, no stress, peace, tranquility. <sighs> How many of you would like some of that in your life right now? Just some, ah. <sighs> as Jesus was walking around, I'm sure coming back the second time, he was walking around thinking about the garden, saying to himself, what is all this fuss about? Why is everybody so stressed out? I didn't create it to be like this. This was never part of the plan. This is never part of what I wanted. Why is everybody so stressed out? Just relax already. It's because we choose to live miserable. And then we die, or we can choose to go ahead and die. Die now, die today. 
declare it is finished and live the rest of our lives on planet earth the way that Jesus did, the way that it felt in the garden, surrounded by love and joy and peace. We've got to choose when to die. Is it going to be today for you that you declare it is finished or are you going to wait a little longer and live a little more miserable? Second thing is you've got to lay down your stuff. In the words of Rick Warren, your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. Like, you've got to look at all that you've got to just, you need to do some inventory over your entire life. I would encourage you to do this on paper. It's one of those things that has happened in my life, and I'm telling you, it has been revolutionary for me. To just sit down and like literally go back to, to my farthest memory and start to write down like every, basically kind of every wrong thing I've ever done. Hello. Folks, I'm telling you, it is a novel. There's uh, four or five volumes. But to just to go back and start to write down like every negative thing that I've ever done or, 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 or experienced or that I've ever done to anybody. And then on top of that, on top of that, to just start to write down about the hurts that people have caused me. And start to decide one by one what I'm going to do about them. Now hear me loud and clear. Jesus has forgiven you of them. Salvation has come. That's okay. Those things have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're going to heaven if you've accepted him. But the hard work of love, joy, and peace has not been done yet if you have not done this. What am I going to do about the things that I've done wrong? What am I going to do about the people that have hurt me? Am I going to forgive or am I going to continue to live in this state of bitterness? We've got to lay our stuff down. If you want to pick up your cross, folks, there can't be anything in your hands. Then you've got to seek some help. You've got to know that you cannot carry this load alone, that you're going to need some professionals, you're going to need some people in your life. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, every human being on planet Earth at some, at some point should have a best friend who loves Jesus, should have a, a, a counselor in their life, maybe professional, should have a pastor, should have somebody, quite frankly, that can help them through the tough stuff that they're willing to talk about. Somebody that you can go to and that you can say, hey, listen, this is my novel. This is my book. I need your help. I don't understand how I got here. Can you help me out? We've got to seek out help, folks. We can't live out there. We cannot do this alone. One of the things that is fantastic in my recovery, honestly, is I am surrounded by unbelievable, unbelievable amounts of support and wisdom. Whether it's my pastor and this church staff, whether it is counselors that are in my life, whether it is support groups that I attend, I'm just like totally bathed in it. And there is so much hope that can be found when you're just willing to say, hey, here's who I am. I'm an open, honest book. Now, hey, you've made it farther down the road than I have. Help me out. We've got to be willing to seek out help. And if that's you, folks, we're here for you to help you do that. You've got to find your people, your support. And then finally, you have to ultimately just die. You have to say, it's finished. I don't want to do this anymore. I want this completely to be over. We've had some courage that's been shown here already today. I'm going to ask for just a little bit more. You know what you walked in here with. You know what it is that you're 
feeling right now. You know what it is that you're going through. You know what, it, you know what kind of habits, you know what kind of addictions, you know what's in your life that, quite frankly, you're tired of. Folks, those things are what's causing you to feel the way that you feel. And the moment that those things are taken care of and cleared out, you are going to begin to, to discover this love and joy and peace that you've always wanted and you've longed for. That you've always just been waiting for it to just be granted to you through some magical, mystical thing. You're going to discover that it's real the moment that you do the hard work. So in this moment, as the music begins to play just a little bit, I'm just going to have a word of prayer real fast. And then I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to say it is finished today, in whatever way, shape, or form that God's calling you to say it is finished then when I'm done praying, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are. To just have the courage to just stand up. I know what it feels like to do that, and I'm not going to lie to you. It hurts. There might even be a voice in your head before you do it that says, this is your walk of shame. Don't listen to the voice. stand up and say hey I'm ready to be done I'm ready for something new I'm ready for something different Heavenly Father you have the power right now to look into every single heart that's in this place at this moment you know exactly where every single person is God know who needs to say it is finished and who has already done the hard work of the cross today give those who need to do the hard work give them courage to declare that today is the day that they will stand and start a new direction for your honor and glory in Jesus name we pray that's you today. Would you just stand up right now? Just stand up. Don't be afraid at all. Have courage. Stand up. If you know that's the case, I want you to stay standing. Don't sit down. Don't sit down, folks. This is a walk. This is a walk to the cross. It seriously is. And if you're interested in that walk, then stand up. Don't be afraid to do it. And I want you to stay standing. And maybe you've already heard that voice today. Maybe you've already heard that, hey, listen to me standing here right now. It feels like humiliation. But my head was down. My eyes were closed and the enemy, he was talking. He was talking loud. Here's what I couldn't see. That's what I couldn't see. I couldn't see that all of heaven had showed up for this walk. I couldn't see that God himself was standing there saying, this is now. And John, you are going to recover. John, you are going to preach again. John, I love you. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear it loud and clear right now. He loves you.
loves you. All of heaven has showed up for this moment for you this morning. The Church of Severn Run has your back. We're going to do this together. And your life will be forever changed and you will enjoy what the resurrection is all about. Take these steps. Let us walk with you through them. I'm going to ask our team in just a second when this music begins to go ahead and come on down and be ready. And if folks, you're interested in making those first steps, would you come talk to somebody today? Would you come and say, hey, listen, here's a little bit of what's going on. Maybe you don't want to tell the whole world at this stage. You're going to tell the whole world at some stage, but not at this one. You're just going to say, hey, listen, I'm ready to begin this walk. How can you help me? Jesus, thank you for declaring once and for all that it is finished. Into your hands, we commit our spirits. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big. Thank you.